One day we will see his face at last. Somewhere it says that, I think in First Peter, maybe second, he says that even though you can't see him, you love him. But we, we will see him one day. And that, that song just makes my heart leap because I want to see his face. I long to see his face and join with the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It is good to see you guys this morning. It's a beautiful Sunday morning and I'm really looking forward to today's text. I'm very excited. Uh, so we have a lot to cover um, more than I anticipated. So if you open your Bibles to Luke 8, we will kind of get to it. Um, we're going to be focusing today on Luke chapter 8, and we're focused on verses 11 through 15 today. Last week we spoke uh, a lot in, in verses 4 through 10. We spent a lot of time in that section, and we're moving into the explanation of the parable. Uh, but last week we discussed the heart. So just by way of review, maybe uh, some of you didn't get to see the uh, the, the live cast or weren't here Sunday morning. And so this is a kind of a continuation. This is a part two of that sermon. So we're going to spend some time uh, reviewing a bit. Okay. So last week we spent a lot of time discussing the heart, discussing the heart, what the condition of the human heart is and how it operates, right? Namely that in its natural state, in its natural state, it operates to deceive you. We looked at scripture to, to back that up to deceive you into thirsting for really all kinds of things, all kinds of things that will never, ever satisfy. And really that until your heart thirsts for righteousness, until your heart really just thirsts for holiness and right relationship with God, then it will always remain thirsty. It'll never, ever be satisfied. But, but if you see your need for forgiveness... Like, really see your need for forgiveness, and therefore seek and desire these things, then, and only then, will Jesus be your all-satisfying treasure. He will be your all-satisfying treasure. He will satisfy your thirst for righteousness, holiness, and right relationship with God, and it's His love. It's His love. It's His unfathomable and holy love that will work alongside the mission and purpose he gives you to glorify his name in all the earth, this will satisfy your soul. That was last week. We also took a look into why Jesus spoke in a parable. Why did he take the time to have all these people come to him and then address this crowd in a parable? And by way of reminder, he did this because he wanted to draw some and kind of repel others. He wanted to draw seekers or hearers and repel the non-hearers. He wanted to draw his elect and repel the heart of heart. It was for revelation for some and judgment for others. But in today's passage, we will continue the story, but the theme and the point won't really change much. If you remember from last week, the main point of the text, and this is the first main point in the handout today, is that the heart that hears, the heart that hears is the heart that treasures the true treasure. The heart that hears is the heart that treasures the true treasure 
But a deaf heart loves fool's gold. We love, the deaf heart loves fool's gold. And last week we focused more on the deaf heart. We spent a lot of time focusing on what that false treasure is and what it is that makes the deaf heart actually deaf. Right? This week we dig more into the parables. We see exactly kind of how that deaf heart plays itself out. How does the deaf heart play itself out in, in kind of three and distinct ways? And then more time on how the hearing heart works itself out and what distinguishes the two. What is the difference between good soil and bad soil? So we're going to go to God's word. Before we do, let's pray and ask God to just bless our time this morning. Father, you are good, faithful, trustworthy, merciful, loving, compassionate. Your promises are sure. Your gospel is solid. And so we come to you to drink and to eat this morning. We come to you to satisfy the longings of our heart this morning with your love, your grace, and your mercy that we so desperately need. We come to you, Lord, I pray, with humble hearts, soft hearts, ready to have your word take root and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 11. I'm just going to read the text through verse 15. So starting in verse 11, Jesus is explaining the parable, and he says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe. So there's no belief for this soil and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, says they receive the word and they have with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and then in time of temptation, they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked out with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. They hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. This is our text this morning. May God allow you to hear it today. So looking at Jesus' explanation, we'll notice that Jesus doesn't explain really who the sower is. He goes right to what? The seed. And the reason is because the sower is kind of irrelevant. It doesn't really matter who the sower is. The point being is that this parable is not about the sower or who is sowing the seed necessarily. It is more about what kinds of hearts exist in the world. What kind of hearts were coming to him and what are the distinction between these hearts? Namely that there's a distinction because there are those who receive this seed and those that do not. Right? And this seed that Jesus tells us, this seed is the word of God. Now, each and every one of these soils have the word of God given to them. They all get to hear it. 
It's all falling on them. And we read in the text today that they hear the word, yet the word only bears fruit in one. Why is that? It's important to note that the seed of the word of God is consistent. It is consistent. In this context, it speaks specifically of the gospel. This is the gospel message. And we should understand that because uh, in the beginning of this chapter in verse 1, it said that he was going from city and city and town to town proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Later in Luke chapter 9, uh, he will send his, his disciples out and he will say, go and proclaim the kingdom. And then the script says, scripture says they go out and they proclaim the gospel. That is what this is. This is the word of God, meaning the gospel. This is the message of salvation. This is the message of salvation that Jesus is proclaiming to all who would hear it. He's proclaiming forgiveness of sins. He's proclaiming redemption. And which is the message really of the entire Bible. It's the message of the whole scriptures, namely that God is holy. God is holy, and we have sinned against this holy God. And up until this point in human history, God has been kind of just slowly but surely revealing how he would redeem a people back to himself and who he would do it through. Who would be this Messiah that would redeem us? And so for thousands of years, true believers, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to fix what we as humans broke in the Garden of Eden. That's the gospel message. This is what people have been waiting for. And so this parable is not about the efficiency of the word to produce fruit. We should note that. This parable is not about the efficiency or the efficacy of the, of the seed or the gospel to be able to produce fruit or penetrate hearts. Rather, as I mentioned, this parable is about the soils. It's a sure thing that this parable is about one main thing, and that is the soils, the hearts. So really, this is about anyone who would be faithful to preach the gospel. This is about anyone who would be faithful to preach the gospel or read God's word or share God's word with somebody and primarily how these different hearts will respond when you do it as we preach it. So we also should notice, we also should notice that Jesus doesn't really placate to different hearts. He's not placating to different hearts or different thirst or different desires, trying to make the gospel seem more palatable to different types of people, to different types of hearts. And the reason is because the problem isn't the gospel. The problem isn't that the gospel is, is too hard to believe or understand or is too exclusive. It's not the problem. It's not that the gospel needs to be adapted to these soils. The word of God is perfect. The word of God is eternal, unchanging, and unchangeable. Yet... Isn't it strange that we see and maybe even believe ourselves sometimes that we need to kind of dress the gospel up a bit. We need to make it a little bit more palatable, hard, easier to swallow. You know, let's make it fun. Let's do something to make these hard hearts rejoice in the gospel. We have to fix the gospel so that people will like it. Right? Let's not, let's not talk about sin so much. Let's not talk about sin so much. Most people don't really like that. Let's just talk about love and peace, and God will just kind of accept you for you. Let's dress it up a bit. In fact, you know what hearts of our generation love so much? Entertainment. Entertainment. Let's, let's just make the gospel more entertaining. What, what kind of music does the world like? Yeah, that's a good idea. What, what kind of music does the world love? Let's mask the gospel 
in that. And maybe we'll kind of just sneak it in. Maybe we'll just sneak it into the hearts. And, and in fact, let's just do everything like the world does it. Let's just do everything like the world does it so they don't even know they're in church. Right? They just, they just come and then, bam, they'll just be in the church and they'll accept the message and then we'll grow the church. Do we see this anywhere? Can we recognize this as we see it? No, we are not to change. We are not to change this seed. It is perfect the way it is. Do not change it. Rather, instead, we are to lovingly and graciously and faithfully cast the seed as it is. In all its glory, in all its offense, it is an equal opportunity offender. And you cannot change that. The gospel is not the problem. It is the soils that are the issue. It is the condition of the human heart. It is the deceitful thirst of the human heart. And so the lesson of the parable is this. The lesson of the parable is this. is that the heart's response to God's word, God's word is absolutely dependent upon the condition or thirst of one's heart. And the only evidence of a heart that has actually received and treasured this word is that it bears fruit. There's the only evidence that anyone has received this message truly is that it bears fruit and that it perseveres to the end. Time will tell. Time will tell. This means that we cannot make bad hearts receive it. I hope that takes a load off for you. If we are focused on trying to make the gospel more carnal for carnal hearts, what we end up doing is more than likely falling into all kinds of heresies and more than likely creating false converts, which is more dangerous. More dangerous is a false convert. More harder is their heart is a false convert. Now, as we look at the soils, we see that there are four distinct soils, right? We can look at the text, we see there's four distinct soils, which means four distinct hearts, Demonstrating, demonstrating what kind of people were coming to Christ, right? We talked about this last week. What kind of people were coming to Christ day in and day out, and what kind of people we should expect to come across when we share our faith. But also, we will see three soils that were once our hearts. We will see three soils that were once our very own hearts. If you are, if you are in Christ today, then one or maybe even a few of these soils were your heart and my heart. And so even as believers, we should be reading this text as, as one, as, as evangelists. We should be reading this text as evangelists thinking, okay, when I cast a seed, what kind of hearts will this land on? And what should I expect? And number two, we should also be looking internally. We should be looking inwardly to see how, this might, how we might still struggle with this at times, like these three soils. Piggybacking off last week, we should also be saying that while there are four distinct soils, there are really just two types of soils. There's two types of soils, which brings me to my sub-point one, okay? Sub-point one is that one soil, one soil treasures or loves the world, just plays itself out in three different ways. One soil treasures or loves the world, the other treasures the word. One, the world. 
one the word, and that one bears fruit. That one will bear fruit. So let's dig in. Soil number one. We look at soil number one based on verse 12, and it says that it is the hard soil. It is the one that the word never even makes it past the ears and into the heart or into any form of understanding. It doesn't get past it at all. It is pure and immediate rejection. This is a hard heart. It is at best indifferent to the word of God or the gospel. And no sooner is the gospel heard by the first soil, it says here that it is taken away by the devil. What this means is the devil, what he does is he quickly shows the hard soil something better, better to him or her, something better to them, appealing to their heart so that they will not give the gospel even a second look. It's like, it's like taking a thirsty child who knows that water, we know water will quench their thirst, but we show them a Coke instead. The Coke will be taken every time. They, they love it. I, I know adults that will take the Coke every time. The water just doesn't seem satisfying. But we know what would satisfy the thirst. It's not the Coke, but the, the devil comes and shows the Coke. And they take it. They will take the Coke every time. And unlike the other soils, the gospel doesn't even take root before Satan comes and snatches it away. And in this context, this is, this is most likely the unrepentant, the unrepentant religious leader. This is who Jesus usually refers to as hard-hearted or stiff-necked. They're so steeped in sin. They're so steeped in sin and they're so self-righteous that repentance, faith, Outside of themselves, foolishness. Forgiveness? Mercy? Pfft, I'm good. I follow the law. I'm a good person. I'm good enough. I don't need that. It's foolishness to them. In fact, in John 8, Jesus is actually talking to a group of people. They, they profess belief. And then he addresses these people, John says, he, he addresses those who believe in verse 37, and it's interesting what he says to them. He says, you seek to kill me, people who profess belief. He said, you seek to kill me, why? Because, because my word finds no place in you. My word goes out of my mouth, and it goes down into your heart, and there's nowhere to sit. There's nowhere to go. There's too much stuff there. There's too much self-indulgence, too much self-righteousness, and it leaves before it could ever take its place. It's gone. Later in verse 44, speaking to just the Pharisees, he says, you, you are of your father, the devil. Imagine that. They thought they were father of Ab their father was Abraham. And Jesus says, I don't think so. Your father is the devil, and I know this because your will, your desires are to do the desires of your father. You like, you like his ways, his lies, you love them. So the person with a hard heart here is not a victim of Satan. He's not a victim of Satan, but he's a willing participant. He is a willing participant in the rejection of the gospel for something else, for something more appealing to them. And is this not how Satan works? We should not be ignorant of the ways of the deceiver. This is not how he works. Satan has many devices. He has many devices, but he, he cannot make you sin. Did you know that? He cannot make you sin. The devil does not make you 
do it, but he need only show you what your heart already longs for. That's all he needs to do, is show you what your heart already longs for. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us that Satan is blinding the mind of the unbeliever. He's blinding the mind of the unbeliever. And he, what he does is he actually, he blinds our hearts by pointing us to the treasures, false treasures that work to blind us. This is how he does it. This isn't a overwhelmingly like uh, Jedi mind trick that we just can't see. Now we're handicapped because of the devil. That's not, that's not it. It's that he is pointing us to treasures of our hearts and to these treasures that dull the ears of our heart. They dull the ears of our heart. They blind the eyes of our heart. And he will do this through a lot of ways. He'll do this through false teachers who tell us just what we want to hear. He'll do this through false teachers. He'll exploit our passions. He'll exploit our desires that only serve, like I said, to dull us. Like fear of loss, pride, self-exaltation, all of these things, they dull the heart. Bad soil, bad soil is the easiest fish to catch. Satan always knows what's to put on the hook, and we bite every time. He need only bait the hook. That's it. In comparison, in comparison, soil two and three, they show us a kind of heart that kind of looks like a good heart. On the surface, they kind of look like a good heart. They look like good soil, but in reality, they're not. These are what we call tares among the wheat. Tares among the wheat. So soil two, Jesus tells us, is rocky soil. Right? The second soil receives the word, and in verse 13, it says that it even receives it with joy, meaning there's some emotion involved. Have we seen anybody kind of get saved? There's ton, a lot of emotion, a lot of tears, and then they're gone. What was that? In second soil. They receive it with joy. The idea of this picture is that there's a little bit of soil, right? It's a little bit of soil laid over a rock. I think when we tend to picture rocky soil, we tend to picture like a bunch of soil just with a bunch of rock broken up in it. But the, the idea here is that it's, it looks like good soil on top with a bedrock underneath. So that it means it's shallow. It's shallow soil with hard bedrock underneath. Not much different than the first soil, just a little bit of good soil on top. This heart lets the gospel in, but not quite all the way. Not quite all the way. Their, their heart it was joyful for something that they believed that the gospel is offering them. Something that kind of just appealed to their sensibilities, their deceitful desires of their heart. And so they believed, sort of. Sort of, only temporarily, only temporarily, showing that their belief was not real. Showing their belief was not real. It was not found in the real gospel, but a false gospel that they kind of just conjured up in their own heart. It was a false gospel. They made it up. Life with Jesus sounded appealing to them. This person who understands with their mind and approves the message as true but it has not taken root in their heart. It has not affected their desires. But they will rejoice. They will rejoice. Why? Because they really believe that they will get what they thought they would get. 
They really believe that they're going to get what they thought Jesus would give them, a life devoted to Jesus would give them, which is some kind of comfort or peace or ease of life or even just freedom from hell, even just a ticket out of hell. They really believe they were getting that. And so it's a really emotional and stimulating thing to believe that, right? It's, it's an emotional response to a gospel, but not the gospel. And without any, listen to this, it's without any of the life-changing truth of the gospel actually getting in. They have not experienced the love of God or truly recognized, they have not truly recognized their desperate need for forgiveness being met by Christ. They came to Christ as a genie. They came to Christ as a genie to meet their wishes. But as for their affections for God and his word, there has been zero change. Zero change. Jesus says that these will wither away because of temptation or testing. Temptation or testing. These these trials that will come to all who want to live a godly life, these trials that will come are counter. They're counterintuitive to what this person thought they were getting saved from. I thought my life was going to be better. And when it isn't, I'm out. This isn't worth it. They didn't count the cost. It's because of these trials or testings which come that they depart. This is the heart that withers under the heat, fearing either what has been lost or what might be lost, which reveals what their true treasure is. That's what their treasure was, what they thought they would gain and therefore lose if they remained steadfast. Likewise, the third soil, the third soil seems to have a belief, but it does not last as well, right? As there is some growth, but it is quickly, it says here, it's choked out. It's choked out, but not by persecution. The third soil is not choked out by persecution or trial, but by gain. By gain. Jesus is showing us that because of the cravings of our heart, because of the longings of our heart, we can be lured away from God either by suffering or by gain. Jesus says the gospel here is choked out by worries or anxieties, riches, and pleasures of life. We look at life and we, want, we see all that we want to have, all that we need to have, all that we don't have, and it creates anxieties and worries, and we want riches, and we want pleasures, and it chokes us out. The text says that they hear it. The text says that they hear it, and it seems that there is even some initial receptivity, right? So this is not the hard-hearted believer this is not the hard-hearted believer, and this is not the shallow. This is not the shallow believer who's just kind of caught up in the emotions. No, this heart appears to be soft enough, appears to be deep enough, but it has all sorts of impurities mixed in with it. it has all sorts of impurities mixed in with it. It receives the gospel, so it appears, but alongside the seed of truth, it also gladly receives the seed of deceit mixed in with it. Matthew actually calls it the deception of riches. It's the deception of riches. There's the gospel of truth implanted and the false gospel of riches still there. 
This is what we would consider a lukewarm heart. This is a lukewarm heart. This is the heart of someone who has one foot in the world and one foot in the church. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. And is this not the greatest temptation of any American sitting in pews today? This is not the greatest temptation of anyone who is having a really good life and compared to the rest of the world and what we would call a good life. This is not the greatest temptation for any of us in this room who are, I don't know, how many times more rich than the rest of the world. Jesus tells us that we cannot have two masters. We cannot have two masters. We will, we will either love one and hate the other, or he says we will despise one and love the other. He says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and your sexual sin. We cannot serve both God and our selfish ambitions. Our desires of the flesh, our desires of the eyes, the pride of life, we cannot serve God alongside any of these things. You must choose. Yet this soil has believed otherwise. This soil has believed otherwise. The word or message of the gospel is no longer beautiful. It's no longer beautiful to them. They, they have eyes only for this world, and they receive the gospel, but with an impure and really an unrepentant heart. No care for sin. No care to deny oneself. No care to take up their cross and follow Christ. They wanted everything. 1 John 1.15 says this. He says, do not love the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If, this is a big if. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You hear that? That marinate for a second. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. These things are from the world. The world is passing away, though, it says. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God bears fruit, remains forever. Jesus is saying that the crowd, the crowd is full of these three soils. This is what Luke wanted to keep Theophilus from. Keep going back, chapter 1. Verse 4, that you may have the truth and know it with all certainty. Locked down, secured in it. Have it take such root in your heart that you would know the truth like a tree and not like a cloud that is just blown away by every wind of doctrine or treasure that comes before your face. He wanted the officer to have that root, that the word rooted so deep in his heart that he would not prove to be unfaithful in the end. In contrast, in contrast, the good soil hears with a capital H. This good soil hears with a capital H. So point two, 
Point two, the heart that hears, here's the distinction, the heart that hears holds fast, bears fruit, and perseveres to the end. There is no distinction. The good soil is the heart that hears, which is the one that holds fast, bears fruit, and perseveres to the end. In contrast to all three soils, the good soil hears with, it says, an honest and good heart, meaning that unlike the other soils, it is all soft, it is deep, and it is tilled perfectly of all impurities. There's not a rock left. There's no weed anywhere in sight. It is perfectly tilled. And because of this, it will receive the gospel with true understanding. True understanding and genuine, a genuine faith or trust or dependence. No self-reliance is left in it. It is purely humbled and broken and contrite, ready to receive this good news. This word, this word hold fast that we see in verse 15, this word hold fast, it comes with it the idea of restraint. Restraint, meaning to like hold tightly. Like imagine somebody grabbing something, like keeping it close, and they're restraining it, and they won't let it go. This, this word gives me the idea of like desperation. It's, a, it's the word of a desperate person. This, this restraint this restraint or white-knuckle grip, this is the actions of a desperate person clinging to the scriptures or the word or the gospel with all their might. They won't let it go so that it might not slip out of their grasp or, in this case, out of their heart. In fact, upon hearing the gospel, this heart, upon hearing the gospel, this heart is softened by the conviction of sin. It's by the conviction of sin, and this heart now, now ha- somehow sees the grace of God that has wiped away their sin, that has wiped away their sin and given them back to their creator, and this good news, this good news is then clung to, like I said, with all their might. They will not let that good news go. The result, it will bear fruit. This type of holding, this type of clinging to, This desperation, it bears fruit. And it will continue to bear fruit. Which means that this person will also, upon salvation and after, will live a life of continuous, continuous dependence on this glorious gospel. Knowing the dangers of the world. Knowing that this, knowing that they are in the world. And the lies of the deceiver are all around them. They will continue to cling to this truth with all their might. This is a heart that prays. This is a heart that prays like this. This heart says something like, Oh God, store up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Let my delight be in your word. Let the gospel be such a treasure to me that nothing else in this world could ever, 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 ever compare. Do you pray like this? Do you hold the gospel in this way? 
Is it forever a treasure that has changed and is changing your soul? Your desires, your affections, is it continuously to work in you after 10 years, 20 years, 30 years of walking with Christ, do you still thank him for the cross? Or is it just a bygone grace? Is it just a a history event? This is called, this is called directing your heart. This is called directing your heart, which is the opposite of listening to your heart. The world calls us to listen to our hearts, but we must not listen. If we learned anything last week, don't listen to your heart. Speak to your heart. Direct your heart. We must direct our heart towards Christ. Towards Christ. Towards remembering and preaching to ourselves the gospel, lest we forget. Lest we forget and live like one of these three soils. You want freedom from sin? Look to the gospel deeply. You want to treasure Christ more? Where are you going to go? Look to the gospel. Do you think that the gospel is something that just just kind of saved you and then no more importance in your life? On to bigger things? Like eschatology? No. No, we are saved. We are saved and redeemed by grace through faith. And we are sanctified. We are carried along in this life. We are being made holy day in and day out by grace through faith in this glorious gospel. It is always working in us to produce love for Christ. And it's out of that love that fruit comes. Good works. Love. Joy, peace, all the fruits of the Spirit. It's out of love for Christ that we love others. And it's out of that love that we share. We share the good news. And it's out of that love that we joyfully and willfully obey the God who gave us this life. This is bearing fruit. Colossians 1.6. Love what Paul says here. He says, the gospel... The gospel which has come to you, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even as, even as it, being the gospel, has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. The gospel is what bears fruit in you. You want fruit? Look to the gospel. Luke gives us some examples of these hearts. He gives us some really good examples. Just recently in the woman of chapter 7. <coughs> the woman of chapter 7, she's broken by sin. She's forever changed by the weight of sin, lifted by Christ. And look at her response. How does she feel about Jesus? I think it's pretty clear. We look at the inner circle of people in verses 1 through 3. These were for those who followed Christ and they gave. It says they gave. They willingly gave to the mission and ministry of their Savior. Why? Because now it was their mission and ministry. They no longer looked to Jesus and said, Oh, I like your ministry. No, it became theirs. So, of course, they gave to it. This is fruit. 
This is fruit. The expectation then for this soil is that it will is what ultimately sets it apart from the rest of the soils, and that is that it will bear fruit. John 15 says that those who are in the vine bear fruit, and those who don't are cut off. Those who don't or not or don't bear fruit are cut off. So if you are in the vine, you will bear fruit. That's not all. That's not all you will do, because he says the other half of that equation is perseverance. The other half of that equation is perseverance. He says, but the seed in the good soil, skip ahead, bears fruit with perseverance. So the word of God, the word of God, this eternal word of God, this gospel message is an imperishable seed. It does not perish. 1 Peter 1.23 says this. He says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And it's this word that was preached to you. This imperishable or eternal seed, once it takes root in your heart, it is an instrument, and therefore, at that point, of the Holy Spirit to hold you fast. To hold you fast through trial, through trial, through temptation, through all the trials of life, keeping your eyes on the glory of God rather than the world. Satan wants your eyes on the world. The gospel puts your eyes on the glory of God all the way to the end and into eternity where we will see his face and our faith will become sight and the struggle will be gone. But until then, we fight for that faith. We fight for that joy. The soil, this soil, this good soil, this will, it, will, it will hold on. It will hold on to this gospel message with a desperate grip It'll put a desperate grip on this gospel and the word of God because, because to this person, this person is so in love with the ways and promises of God that they can't let go. They can't let go. This heart treasures Christ with such tenacity that all the treasures, treasures of the world are, like Paul said, as rubbish to them. There's rubbish by comparison. So unlike the thorns, to this heart, nothing could rob the word from it. Nothing. Nothing could sway them from the truth. Nothing in the world would ever outshine the gospel to this heart. Unlike the stone, no trial could ever rob the gospel from this heart. This heart that has the love of Christ in them. No loss could make them think that God isn't enough for them. There's nothing they could lose that could say, that could make them say, God isn't enough for me. In fact, for this heart, trials will do the opposite. For this heart, you will watch somebody who treasures the gospel go through trials and their grip doesn't loosen on the gospel. It gets tighter. It gets even tighter. All trials only work to make their grip even tighter on the promises of God, not loosen. Romans 5 gives us this. 
Verse 3, he says, And not only this, but we, which I take to mean good soil, also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance for good soil. And perseverance, a proven character. You go through a trial, you make it through by faith, and your character and your hope is then rooted deeper. It's established. And that hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within your heart through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This is what is implanted into our hearts. This is what is implanted by the gospel. It is the love of God through the Spirit. It's the one who so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. It is the one who showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's this truth. It is this truth that was continuously revealed to us by the Holy Spirit in his word that holds us fast. Oh, that we would never lose our grip on this glorious, fruit-bearing, persevering, imperishable truth. It is eternal. And we should be so desperate. We should never forget how desperate we are for it. We should be so desperate to hold tight and cling to God's word every single day. Every single day that we may have the gospel firmly planted in us and bearing fruit and holding us fast. All right, some implications. I like to call these my so what, my now what, so what, now what moment, okay? Number one, remember we said that we should be thinking like evangelists and looking internally. So number one, do not lose heart in sharing the gospel. Do not lose heart in sharing the gospel. Yes, we can see that, you know, the majority, as we can tell from this parable, will not receive it. The majority of people you tell about Christ will reject it or look like they receive it and then reject it. And that can be discouraging. But hear me when I say this. I want you to hear me. I want you to trust this, is that if you are faithful, if you are faithful to share the gospel, unadulterated, true to the word of God, you may never see someone come to faith in Christ. Maybe, but God will have used that seed. This is the promise. God will use that seed of the gospel for his purpose. And in that, you can take rest. Meaning that it was never, ever, ever wasted. That seed will never be wasted. God, God may use that seed 10 years down the road, and you don't have any idea what God used. I can't tell you how many people, how many people planted a seed in my life that eventually bore fruit, and they ne they'll never see it. They will never see it. Or, or he may use it as a message that is so hated by that person that when they hear it, they cast themselves into deeper hardness. That's a possibility. 
Either way, God used it either as a vessel for mercy or a vessel for judgment. And you can rest knowing God is faithful to do the heart work. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. You just be faithful to sow seeds. Just sow faithfully. Number two. Number two, it's a question. And the question is this, is with what heart do you come to Jesus this morning? Looking internally here. The reality is that even those who have given their hearts to Christ, they have received Christ, have been raised to newness of life with him, even us, we have the propensity to act like bad soil. We live and exist in a time of justified and being made righteous. We will have this good soul perfect one day, but until then, we have propensities to act like our old selves. So with what heart do you come to Jesus this morning? With what heart do you come to Jesus on Sunday mornings or in your quiet time or in weekday Bible studies? All who come on Sundays come for something. Nobody comes here thinking you're just wasting your time, I hope. You all come for something. We all desire something out of this hour or hour and a half, depending on who's preaching, something we want, right? Is it a good feeling? Is it a good feeling? Is, is Jesus my box checker? Took my family to church. Check. Took myself to church. Brought my kids here. Check. Or is it, do you come to Jesus as kind of head of your social club? You know, Jesus, Jesus got us all together. We're just a big community. I just love my community. And, you know, I just want to be with my friends. Is that your treasure? Is that what you, is that what you hope to get on Sunday mornings? These aren't bad things. But they could be if they're ultimate things. Now this, is this your treasure? Is it Jesus? Teacher of profound, mind-titillating truths. I just want my mind stimulated. I just want to come and learn something. In fact, my heart, I don't know about that. Actually be changed. Actually go home and like meditate on that truth so that it moves me and changes me to actually go and bear fruit and be a, sowed, a, sow, a seed sower. Ah, no thanks. I just want my mind stimulated. This is, this is fun. Like coming in on a college lecture and then leaving and not having to take a test. Is it entertainer Jesus? Is it entertainer Jesus? I just want to be entertained. I just want to be entertained. If it's not entertaining for me, bad, you know, not, a, not entertaining preacher, not entertaining music, I'm out. I'm going to a different church. Right? The music wasn't upbeat enough. Maybe it wasn't modern enough, or maybe it wasn't old enough. I'm out. I can't worship that music. Or, or did you come to hear him? Him. Did you come to draw from the wellspring of the gospel? To draw from the wellspring of the gospel, you know your heart so desperately needs and be restored in the joy of your salvation. Did you come for that? This is what, this is, what is offered to you. Do you. Did you come to grow in your awe of Jesus' glory? 
His magnificence, who he is. Did did you come to have your heart and eyes enlightened to more and more of him? That you would grab onto his word with all your might this morning and go out into the week and bear fruit. Is that why you came? You come with desperation in your soul. Longing for more of his word. We should all, we should all come to Christ praying, Lord, Lord, there's so much garbage in the world. There's so much garbage in the world telling me what to believe and what to treasure. I need your word preached and sung over me. I need truth. I need light. If we could only grasp what God does here each and every Sunday morning, what his plan is for your heart this Morning on weekday Bible studies, you go to his word. His plan for your heart is not in vain. It is to bear fruit in you. Remember, remember we all apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from his work, are heart of heart, shallow of heart, and thorny of heart. And the only way to get this kind of heart is to direct our eyes towards Christ, and God is the one who does it. God is the one who must do it. I remember uh, laying in bed. I was laying in bed about 17 years ago, and uh, I was an unbeliever, but God had been drawing me. He'd been drawing me, and I I was really unable to sleep. I was unable to sleep. In fact, I had tears rolling down my face because for months, for months, I had tried over and over and over again to become a Christian again, to to give my life to Jesus again. I, I tried to give up my sin over and over and over, and every time I tried to do it in my own strength, I failed. And the harder I tried, the harder I fell. I was in bed, tossing and turning. It was 11 o'clock, then midnight, then 1 o'clock, and then 2 o'clock, and then 3 in the morning. You've been there probably. You just can't sleep. And I was tears rolling down my face, and I was crying out to God. I was crying out to God. I was telling the Lord, I, I don't want to continue sinning. I don't want to continue sinning. I, I, don't, I don't want to be separate from you. I need your help. I can't change, God. I can't do it. I can't stop sinning because I love my sin too much. You have to do it, God. You have to do it. You have to make me hate my sin. You have to change me. And I felt in that moment, felt in that moment this extreme conviction to confess my sin. Not just admit that I sinned, but confess it. I believe that God wanted me to confess my sin to all my family who I had kept it secret from for I don't know how many years. This, I believe, was a test for me from God. God wanted me to see if I really was really done with my sin. Was I really done with my sin? He wanted me to see it. He knew if I was or not. He wanted me to see it. And he wanted me to see if I was really wanting to trust him and live my life alongside him. And in that moment, I agreed. 
in prayer, I would confess everything the next day that I was done. And I fell, I'm not kidding, I fell instantly asleep. I mean, 60 seconds, hit, I'm out. Peace like a river. I, I knew in that moment that he wanted, what he wanted me to do, that it would work out no matter what. I trusted that in that moment, I was with God and he was with me. He had to do it, though. He had to do it. And from that day on, I was really, I've never, I've never been the same. And that prayer has been consistent in my life, though it's changed a bit. It's changed a bit. It's, it's, it's more like now, and I want to hear this because I, I want us, and I want myself to pray like this more often, is that, God, I still love the things of this world too much. I still love the things of this world too much, more than I should. So please, God, please continue to show me how beautiful you are. Oh, God, each and every morning we should pray, soften my heart. Make me more like your son. I can't do it apart from your grace. Please continue to change my desires and make my heart cling to your word so that I would not sin against you. Make, oh God, make Christ shine so beautiful to me so that the things of this world grow dim. So therefore, turn your heart towards him. Turn your heart towards him in the word. Fall before him in prayer and plead with him. Plead with him to reveal more of himself so you will hate the world more and more and more. Even as believers this morning, even as believers this morning, don't think that you can grow in your walk without his grace. Yes, you have been given a new heart. Rejoice. You've been given a new heart, but we must remain faithfully dependent upon him. You are good soil. If you are in Christ this morning, you are good soil. And Jesus is working in you to help you live like the soil or tree that you already are. Like you already are. So run to him for help. Direct your heart towards him. Not to make you good soil. You are good soil. If you have received this gospel. Yet in the flesh, in the flesh, we need help living and remembering the beauty of this gospel. So run to Jesus. Run to Jesus and his gospel continuously. Then in his love and grace, go bear fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that apart from you, God, you've told us in your scriptures that apart from you, we can do nothing. Who can bear fruit apart from you? So God, feed us with your truth, with the glorious gospel. Give us eyes, O oh God, to see how wonderful and precious you are. Send us out, O oh God, into the world to be lights in the darkness, to be pillars of truth. And let your truth take such root in our heart that we may never, ever, ever leave you. In Jesus' name, amen.